Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Dull and dreary and dark and damp old morning out there. Good morning, 1850-715-996. Number the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up later, some good news from Mount Cara. We covered that story in detail uh, over the summer. There's been some good news for the future of Mount Cara Nursing Home. Also, a change, a real U-turn, change in tack by the Minister for for children, Roderick O'Gorman, to do with the mother and baby homes bill. We discussed that uh, last week. Will the change brought in by the minister be enough to satisfy the people who were so deeply upset by the bill? That's the key question, because if it doesn't satisfy them, it's not worth doing. We'll be asking that question during the morning. And also, uh, fans of Cork City FC, I, I remember very well, very, very well, the setting up of Forrest and the saving of the club and the success brought to the club under Forrest. It was huge. It was brilliant. Now the club has been sold or is being sold for a euro. And I want to know what people think about that. It seems to have been business-wise the only thing to do, but it's been done now, and people were mixed and divided about it last night. So I want to know what you think, and we'll touch on it later on in the programme. But first, this morning, we were following this sort of quietly. Definitely the newsroom were across it, and we referred to it once or twice on the programme over the last few weeks. But as an ongoing murder trial, you kind of stay away from these things until they are over unless you have someone attending it which of course uh, you don't have all the time but a 48 year old Cork woman found guilty and to be jailed for life for a, by, uh, for, for the uh, unanimous verdict of guilty of murder at uh, the Central Criminal Court sitting in Cork. Rita O'Driscoll from Bridge Street in Bandon had denied the murder of Timmy Foley he was 44. Uh, she denied his murder at a house in Dancorkery Place in McCroom on the 8th of October 2018, just over two years ago. Uh, she'd also denied a charge of assault causing serious harm to Mr Foley's younger brother Jason at the same address on the same date. She was convicted yesterday of the murder. And afterwards, I spoke to Breda O'Reilly, uh, Timmy Foley's sister. She's been speaking to me about the verdict and about the trial. Breda, first of all, my condolences to you and the family uh, for what you've been through, for the, the loss of your brother and indeed having to go through a trial and all of that. Now that it's all over and the verdict has been reached, how does it feel? Well, we feel relieved that we got justice for Timothy. But we still feel in shock because it's not going to bring him back, you know, He's gone forever in the prime of his life. And it's just going to be an empty chair around the kitchen table every Christmas, every birthday. You know, it's it was a very, very long trial, but 
it wasn't just a toy, like the trial itself, that was lengthy. We, there was a black cloud hanging over all our family, all the Foley family with the last two years, uh, waiting for justice. We haven't even grieved for our brother Timmy yet. There's an uncertainty, isn't there, when there's a trial process on. You never quite know how it's going to work out. That's stressful. Very, very stressful. But we had hope in God and we knew that justice would prevail because we had such a great team. We had great detectives. It was all the guards and everything. They did everything in their power and they did their jobs. Like they went beyond the call of duty and especially our the family's liaison officer, Brian Hagerty, we wouldn't have been able to get through it only for him. He was just a strong pillar to leave, lean on. Yeah, I suppose there was constant reassurance there from him and his colleagues. Look, we'll get this done, we'll get this done. Yes, it was just all patience, really. You know, we just had to wait and listen and respect the court's decision. But as I said, justice was prevailed. We came out with a good verdict, and it would have saved not. It would have saved like all the the hassle if she had admitted at the very start. The detectives and the guards have spent over two hundred thousand, I think, hours trying to do this case, and it was just she just should have been honest at the start. And even we during the trial, I think the worst part of it was really um, when the pathologist was naming out all the wounds that my brother got on the night. And it was like as if you had been inside an abattoir and you were listening to an abattoir butchering an animal. That must be very distressing. I've, I've sat through court cases as a reporter and I've listened to pathologists' reports and I've looked down the court at the family concerned. I can't imagine what it must be like to sit through that. There's no words that can explain it. You could just picture our brother being butchered in an abattoir, piece by piece by piece. And it was a slow and lingering death. She, there wasn't a part of his body she didn't knife. It, she, the best place for her is in there. She got mandatory life now, and that's she'll stay there for the rest of her life because she's not fit for society. Does it feel, Breda, like a kind of closure, or can you ever bring closure to something like this? No, honestly, you can't. You can't because there's a hole in the pit of your stomach you just can't. There's an emptiness there. You feel sick. You feel nauseated. It's it's unbelievable. We will never ever get over this. Or like my dad is 87 years of age, and he just can't get over that his son was brutally murdered. He just can't get over it. Uh, my sisters, my brothers, they're all. Like, we're just numb. And of course, um, our surviving brother Jason, we're just blessed that he survived the vicious slaughter that my brother Timmy went through. We're just glad that he survived, you know.
Tell me a bit about Timmy Breda. Obviously, again, so those of us just following a court case in the newspaper or on the radio and television news, he's, he's a name. To you, he was your brother. What was he like? What kind of a guy was he? Oh, he was a character. He'd, if you were crying, he'd make you smile. As a kid, he was always up to mischief. Um, he'd be out in the disco. He wouldn't go to school in the morning. He'd slip out of school, but he'd make it up again. He was just a character. Um, he was always full of life, full of energy. You could ask Timmy to do something for you. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. An hour later, you get a phone call. It was done. He was so helpful to all the family. But he was like a second dad as well to Jason. The two of them were like best buddies. They weren't just brothers, best buddies. Yeah, that seemed to come out from what I was reading in the coverage of the trial. They were very close, the two of them. Oh, they were extremely close, extremely close. Jason and Timmy, they were like Christmas twins, you could say. They were just so close. And Jason, God love him, is like... How is he now? Oh, he's lost. He's lost without Timmy. Everything out of his mouth is Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. You know, they were extremely close. How, how will you remember your brother? Is there a personal memory that you'll treasure? I do, yeah, when he caught me smoking. Go on, tell me that. He caught me smoking and he told my mum and dad that myself and my sister Caroline were smoking. <laughs> and we got a trip around the year. But um, no, he was very funny, very funny. Um, he was a great uh, card player, Don Poker. He loved, he loved sports as well. And bowling, he used to bowling. And he was an absolutely, a fantastic ballad singer. Fanta and he would be proud today that Kevin Barry's anniversary is also today. He said yes, today. Was Kevin Barry a hero of his? Yes. He loved all the ballads. He loved singing. Um, his favourite words were when he walked in, into one of the family's house. Hello, everybody. Timmy Foley in the house. <laughs> he was just a, a lovable, lovable character. But he'll, he'll always, I'll have to go shortly because... Um, it's okay. And he'll never be forgotten, you know. Well, not with memories like that, he won't. And, and not with someone like you to tell them for him and and I thank you so much for taking my call on what's been a very difficult day for your family and, and all I can wish you is, is some peace Thanks very much and in the near future there might be a book coming out from this tragedy as well Okay, well I look forward to reading that if it does Take care now Brida and my regards to all of the family Thank you so much, thank you that's Breda O'Reilly's sister of the late Timmy Foley speaking to me last evening after the verdict was handed down in the case against Rita O'Driscoll.
uh, who was convicted of his murder. 185996. It's really hard to describe the show. It's a bit of crack. It's a bit of a laugh on a Saturday. Yeah, that's what, that's it. Four hours straight, no stop, no break. There's lots of showbiz news. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of just laugh at celebrities doing stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> so good! Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Live. Why would a person want to listen to our show? Because I'm here. I mean, why would a person want to listen don't, to our show? Don't do that. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold. Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Corks 96 FM. We covered during the summer the story of Mount Cara and fears for the future of Mount Cara Nursing Home in the north side of the city. And and at the time, we didn't get it until we began to talk about it. The, the personal connection between the local people up there and that nursing home, really precious, really precious to them. And a Facebook page was set up called Save Mount Cara. And on that Facebook page, Yesterday, uh, there was a statement. The Board of Management have informed staff and families that Mount Cara is to go into partnership with Michael O'Shea, a private operator who runs three other nursing homes. He will now become the new registered provider for Mount Cara and it will operate under the Fair Deal scheme. Former Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor John Sheehan. John, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. You were on the board, you were a chair of the board up there at Mount Cara at one point. Is, is this is this a salvation for Mount Cara? I, I certainly think it is, um, because if you look at it, we had four objectives in all of this, PJ. One, that Mount Cara would remain open. Two, that the residents would get to stay there. Three, that the current staff will be retained. And four, that Moncara will be put on a long-term secure pathway in terms of its finances, in terms of its management, etc. And all of those objectives have been uh, achieved. And I met the staff yesterday and I also rang, uh, talked to the residents, but I rang all the families as well. And the overwhelming feeling was one of relief that there's certainty brought to this. So I think this secures Moncara going into the future. And... In particular, you mentioned there, PJ, all the different people and the affection that it's held on the north side for people. And I'd just like to thank the, you know, the residents and staff for all their patients, the SAVE group who put in huge amount of work into this and really bought the, you know, highlighted how much it means to people on the north side and the wider community and also my fellow board members because everyone wants this to continue into the future and there's certainly a huge need for it on the north side of the city. So I think it's a bit of good news uh, today, I think it secures the future of Moncara long term, and I think that's a, a very good outcome. Is it privatisation of the, the home, John? I don't think it is. I mean, at the end of the day, what you want is you want your relative and your family to be cared for and, and minded in a safe, secure environment. And we all, I, I've been involved in the board for about six years, and people before me, people after, always felt that Moncara struggles in terms of not being part of something bigger if you you know in terms of a, a bigger organization whether it's the hse whether it, it, it's someone else and um, that can provide some of that support in terms of nursing in terms of hr in terms of finance and that sort of managerial and um, um, support so i think it gives that bit of security mm. to the residents of montara to know now that this is going into the future they get to stay there and also 
they get to stay there long term because one of the challenges we've always had among Cara PJ is that if someone became frailer and more dependent, they couldn't stay in Moncara and they would have to even get a nursing home. And well, that's why very traumatic that? for why people. Was it was a, it was, it was a low dependency. It's kind of built on the old welfare home model. So it ne- if someone needed full dependency, it wasn't under HICWA uh, approved for that. So if they needed, like if they needed a hoist or support like that, they had to go somewhere else. The intention now is that some of that, those beds would be uh, designated for that so that residents will be able to stay there all the way through their journey. And I think that's a positive, very positive step. Something else that we discovered, well, obviously we discovered in this programme and I think others, other listeners did, you all knew, it wasn't on fair deal. Now, first of all, why was that the situation? And I guess secondly, why can it now change? It wasn't on fair deal because when it was found a fair deal didn't exist so it got its funding sort of as a block grant from the HSE, from City Council under its kind of a homelessness service, uh, and then the residents paid fees. So that's the model that it evolved from, and that would be sort of the older welfare home type model, of which there was about 20 in Cork, and there's only uh, one or two left now. And then when Fair Deal came in, it continued on that model. But we feel as a board that it needs to change to Fair Deal for a couple of reasons. One, it brings secures the funding long term but two it brings a bit of extra funding that allows Moncara to be viable um, long term but the third reason is for people on the north side who need a nursing home Fair Deal really is the only game in town so now at least there is a nursing home in the area so that people can go to the, uh, could, could, could go to that area and that's an important uh, facility to give to people. I'll be talking in a minute to Deputy Thomas Gould, John, who has raised some concerns. He raised it on his Facebook last night and I'll be talking to him about it. Some concerns about the jobs of the staff and the future of the staff. Is is that assured in, in your mind? Yes, it is assured. Um, and to pay, as you know, uh, PJ, from all the other uh, things that happened in Cork the last few years, uh, will apply in this situation. So what will, sorry, say, what's the term? Oh, to pay, transfer of undertaking. So if someone takes over a factory, someone takes over an organisation and they're continuing on, all the jobs are secured. And Michael O'Shea wants to hang on to all the staff, so all okay. the positions are there for, for the staff. And um, the staff there are fantastic, they're amazing. Some may want to finish up, and we need to have a discussion over that over the next eight weeks, but all the jobs are secure. So okay. it's a really positive outcome. All right, John, thank you for that. That's uh, Councillor Dr. John Sheen, uh, former chair of the board of Mount, Mount Carmel. Uh, Mary Lynch, Mary, yes, your, your, your mum is a resident there. This will have come as great relief for the family. Huge relief, absolutely. We're thrilled. Yeah, great relief for all the residents that are there. Mm. How long has mum been there now? She's there six years now. She went in when she was 94. Right. And she when did, when did she turn the ton? When did she turn the 100? The 9th of June. She was 100 on the 9th of June. So, right. yeah, big celebrations that day okay. at a distance. Yes, so of course. Tough old, tough old yeah. time. Yeah. It was worrisome for you over the summer because she... It did, was dreadful. You know, that's her home life. That's where she lives. You know. Yeah, and the staff are so good up there. The very thought of her moving to somewhere else where she wouldn't know anybody and... You know, it would have been it would have been difficult for her. You know, because uh, and even the very fact of moving at all. You know, an old lady like that, moving her from one place to another. You know, getting her settled and getting her used to new people and them used to her. And it would have been dreadful. I wouldn't. I don't know how we'd have managed it all. Thank goodness we didn't have to. Yeah, yeah, it's great. For, it's great for the future. Out. 
And, yeah. and have you been talking to her? Um, I was up there Tuesday, but I can't talk to her. She's no good on the phone, DJ, because yeah, uh, she's useless on the phone. For a woman who loved the phone, couldn't get off the phone when she was a bit younger, now we can't get her on the phone at all. Yeah. Um, so I was there on um, Wednesday, and they did tell me I could look in the window at her, all right, but her eyesight is very poor, and they they could be saying, there's Mary outside, and then she'd be looking for me, and I thought, you know what, better leave it. Yeah, yeah that's Don't sad, bother. isn't it, that you can't just get in and sit with her for a few minutes? It is sad, but... Um, Probably for the best, I suppose, for the safety of it all. For the whole, for everybody in there, totally agree, yeah. But um, the outcome has been terrific and it's been great. We, we're so happy and so proud of the people on the north side to stand up and take a stand like that yeah. for the residents in there and for keeping Moncar open. The amount of people that turned out for those vigils, it was amazing. People that I went to school with and people that I worked with and totally, they all turned out like in for yeah. everybody. It's, it's amazing. I was totally shocked about, um, you know, and I saw all the crowds that were there. There was someone I spoke to during the summer, Jella Lynch. Any relation? No, no, she works there. No, she's no relation. Magella is her name. Yeah, she goes um, by Jella. She's yeah. a great girl, yeah. She's, uh, they were the starters, really, of the Friends of Monk Harris. Woodley. They were the ones who instigated the fight in the first place, her and her mom. Yeah, there were, so they were certainly great. the people who brought it to our attention here because I, I, we knew it was there. But and never, never yeah. understood the, the, the passion that people felt for it, you know? Neither did I. That's what I'm saying. The, the very fact when we were up there, there on the nights that we were um, taken out and all our local representatives that came out and supported us small parties. And, you know, the, the, the people of the north side came along and lined the roads and with their placards saved Mount Carrot. It was amazing. You know, it was totally amazing. It was terrific. What's mum's name? Nora, okay. Nora Tell her, Tell her we're thinking of her when you're able to, to communicate with her, all right? I will, I will. I'll be up again anyway next week or so. Right. Just send in a few flowers and that so she knows that we're still there. You all know? right. Or maybe, maybe Jerry will do something for them on Sunday. You never know. Yeah. Or we have the radio on up loud up there. Yeah. All right. Mary, thank you very much for that and delighted for you and your mom. And yeah, we, we pass a message to Derry uh, for all these Irish on Sunday and he'll surely mentioned something. Now, I, I mentioned when I was talking to John Sheehan, I mentioned some concerns raised by, by Deputy Thomas Gould. Tom, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Obviously, this is great news. So what concerns do you have? Well, there is no doubt, PJ, that this is a fierce relief for the, for the people in Moncara and their families. You know, so there, there's no doubt about that. But for me, I suppose the first thing I want to say off the bat is that Mount Carroll was destined to close in the end of August. And I just want to like compliment Mary, everyone involved would save the Mount Carroll and all the people who came to the meetings, individuals, because if the people didn't launch a campaign, and I organised the very first meeting at the very start down the Blackpool Community Centre, where we met outdoor because of the COVID restriction, Mount Carroll will be closed now. So I think it's very important to, to recognise, and this goes all back to people, Paul PJ, and people standing up. And when people heard that Mount Carroll was closing, the people of the north side came together and said, we're not accepting this. And the, the call went out. We held a press conference and we held, uh, sent emails and correspondence. I actually wrote to the, the board, the Minister for Health, the HSC and the Taoiseach, and I raised it in the dial about we didn't want to lose Moncara. But the issue now at the moment is, I'm just listening to, to Councillor John Sheehan there, uh, Dr. John Sheehan, who was on with you a few minutes ago. Yes. 
this is privatisation. And the questions that need to be answered is why wasn't the new board of management put into place to keep it in the community? This was set up originally by the Bishop of Cork and the local people who fundraised to set up Moncara and to run it for the locality and for people locally. So, like, why isn't they being kept in the community? And but sure, also you ask, John Thomas, you ask, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. But it's going to be privatised, PJ. So what? It's staying open. What was the best yeah. option? Close it? No, the best option was either put in a new board of management or for the HSE to step in. Why haven't the HSE come in and take over this? And PJ, this is like everything now in our country. They're privatising it for profit. This do, do you honestly think, hold on a second, Thomas, I appreciate where you're going with that, but do you honestly think that Mary Lynch and, and, and the others are like her give a Tupney course who's managing the place as long as her mum is comfortable and cared for? No. And Good. Well, there, Mary, there's my question answered. But PJ, what about the other Mary Lynches whose parents haven't gone in there yet, who are from the community, who want to with the Mulcair in the future? A fair, deal will no, apply, a fair deal will apply. Well, we have no guarantees, no, PJ. When you had a local board of community people running it for the community, we were always sure that people from the community would always have a place. And, PJ, like, why did the HSC step in? Why aren't the HSC running this? Like, why are we using private operators who are making a profit to run things? What's so wrong with that if they're running well? Well, PJ... Montero has an excellent HICWA report, and if anyone wants to log on and check out... No one's disputed. That's probably one of the reasons it was attractive to, to a partner. Do you know what I mean? Well, Peter, this is not a partner, no. This is someone, and I'm only listening to what John said to you uh, earlier, that, they are, take, that um, they are taking this over. That, and t- that, to me, then, is... And then there are other questions, then. If they are taking it over... Where will the profits that will be made by the private company, are they going to go back into the community, into maybe all the people in the community or youth clubs? Like, what's going to happen with that money? But sure, if the HSE was running it, you'd have no guarantee of that either. No, we wouldn't. But what we would have a guarantee is that local people... uh, PJ, I respect that the families, this is a big relief. Huge, Tom. Right, 100%. And it sounds it sounds like, okay, and, and I'm not one for coming down on you. We get on good, you and me, most of the time, yeah. right? It sounds to me like you're trying to poke holes in something that doesn't have too many holes in it. Well, PJ, I spoke to family members yesterday, and I spoke to workers. There are workers here now today who don't know what's happening for six or eight weeks. Transfer of undertakings so will apply. Yes, but they have no guarantee of their terms and conditions. And the first thing that should happen when a company is taken over under the transfer is that terms and conditions are guaranteed and also in relation to people's redundancy. If that's, it's that's, offer. that's determined by law under transfer of undertakings. Well, can I say this now? That hasn't been, that hasn't been communicated. And well, PJ, John, John, John Sheehan said it 10 minutes ago. Well, can I say this now, PJ? You know yourself, right? There are people with terms and conditions up there we know the HIC report is excellent because we know the staff are brilliant, right? What I believe is one of the staff left recently because they were told it would be paid a redundancy if, even if they left. Like, Well, that's, that's you, something I, I don't I, know anything about, but I, I pre- well, appreciate it. Listen, before... Well, before I, I can say this to you now, right? I, 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 I can't get into specific individuals. You know okay. that, John. Well, I was the first person to organise a meeting because residents and staff came to me 
right? We held a number of meetings. We held a number of press conference. We held, held vigils, right? So we wanted to keep Ocar open. And John touched on a number of points there, but the one point he never touched on the, of all the points was keeping this for the north side and the people of the north side. And that's what I want to ensure. Okay. Well, well, I suppose that'll be up to the management to decide who, who, who they take in. Quick question for you. I mean, and listen, if it becomes a problem, we'll be back. Just a quick question before you're there. Um, have you had any more news about the South Dock in the Sunbeam? Would you believe no? And we were in contact yesterday again, looking to, with the people who actually run South Dock, will they give us a commitment? Because... Like PJ and we spoke about it, my fear is that all the other South Dock uh, centres that were closed during the originally in March and April were reopened except for Blackpool. And I'm looking for answers now and I want a commitment given because I know there are doctors in the city who want the Blackpool yeah. uh, centre open. And if it can't be in Blackpool, it should be in the orthopedic hospital or it should be somewhere. Well, it should office. be gone up to St Mary's. There's... there's surely space up in St Mary's to, to put it up there and it's one I've no doubt we will come back to uh, Thomas thanks very much that's Thomas Gould Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central look I'm not having a go at him but we've had some great news about Mount Cara brilliant and yeah it's a private company big what's it like it's saved it's staying open Mary's mom, who's 100 years old and it's her home she can stay there now that's what they were worried about Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Caller says, I think privatisation may be the only option, and it's great that it's saved, but any time a nursing home is privatised, it's the residents suffer one day or another. Even either there were massive hike in fees or facilities downgraded while staying within the law. I think Mount Cara should be allowed access to the fair deal scheme, while well, it's getting that, and the other support schemes that are on offer, and the board should be allowed to put together a financial package that it can be run that way. Well, that, I think John Sheehan was very clear on that, caller. It will now be part of the Fair Deal Scheme. 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Save time and money by only having to do eye makeup. Forgot to shave? No problem. You're covered. And it's easier to avoid an ex because they probably won't recognise you. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. So last week, towards the end of last week, we, we touched on this controversial piece of legislation to do with the mother and baby homes. And of course, the report of the commission is being handed to the minister, the relevant minister, tomorrow. We hear that it runs to 4,000 pages and that it is harrowing to read. And it will eventually be published, obviously, once it's been legaled uh, by the people who have to legal it, like the Attorney General. And in a way... I dread, and in a way I look forward to reading it. But it became so controversial last week with this piece of legislation going through the Doyle that would effectively have sealed access to testimony for the people who took part in that commission. They they couldn't get their own information. And that was more denial and, and more sealing of records that people 
who've been through the mother and baby home system have been battling against for years and years and years. And it was very controversial. And then the president signed the bill at the weekend. He signed it because it was constitutional and that was his duty, even though he issued a very strong statement saying effectively, well, I have to sign this, but you can want to challenge it, you can challenge it. And there was a mounting, a mounting flood of pressure against the government on this bill. And then there was a very detailed statement issued last evening after it met in Cabinet. It had what it calls a detailed reflection on all the issues of public concern raised in recent days. It acknowledges and regrets the genuine hurt felt by many people across Irish society. That was a long and detailed statement. Breaks down into pretty much two things The principal one being, as Danny McConnell reports in the examiner today, survivors will be able to access the mother and baby home records. That's the big win here for the survivors. They'll be able to access their personal records in a manner consistent with GDPR. That's the the big rider on it. Uh, There'll be two tests applied to every request for the information following that government change of mind. And then Minister Roderick O'Gorman has been speaking about the latest change, which is being described as a massive U-turn. I've acknowledged that when I brought forward this legislation, I should have done a much better job in engaging with survivor groups initially. I'd seen it very much as a technical piece of legislation, but uh, I think it's uh, it's it's incumbent on me, incumbent on everyone in government to, to remember the huge hurt that has been done uh, to, uh, to so many people in Ireland who were victims of institutional abuse in various settings. Susan Lawn is the co-founder of Adoption Rights Alliance and an old and dear friend. Susan, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you again. Has he done enough? Well, not as yet. Um, as, as you well know, the devil is in the detail. And the statement which uh, the Taoiseach issued yesterday did not refer to the, the two tests that would have to be applied to anybody um, applying to uh, access their personal data. So um, this is a little bit worrying. You know, we've been at these crossroads before where we think finally government is listening. And as you will well recall from the 2001 Adoption Information Act, which Mary Hannafin brought in, we found buried in the small print that she was going to criminalise adopted people for uh, making contact with their natural parents without their express prior permission. So we just have to be very, very wary that these tests... um, that they're not going to be disproportionate because, as my colleague Maeve O'Rourke points out in our in our press release today, you know, th- these are these are not ordinary applicants. These are people who have, you know, reams and reams of records relating to their early life, their their neglect, um, their maltreatment um, at the hands of the state, funded by the state. Um, they've suffered massive human rights abuses to date. So to to make them jump over unnecessary hoops in order to protect the reputation of Ireland or the reputation of various uh, state bodies Mm. or indeed religious charities, uh, that is simply not morally feasible, if I can use that phrase. The minister was on on national radio this morning, Susan, talking Mm, about these tests and he was along the lines of we have to make sure that releasing the information, I'm paraphrasing, we have to make sure that releasing the information doesn't affect the rights of anybody else. Yes, What's yes, he at? indeed. 
Well, I think um, I, I'm worried that he may be planning uh, for the Tusla risk assessment model, uh, which they operate at the moment, where they assess the level of harm it would cause to release to an adopted person their, their own name, their own family history, uh, the level of harm that that would cause to other people. And I know for certain that they are going so far. I mean, it's somewhat ironic that, you know, they're claiming they're doing this to protect the privacy of natural mothers. But even when it comes to deceased natural mothers, I know for certain that they are now approaching almost every cat, dog and devil that uh, such, such a mother might have known to ask, would it be okay if an adopted person were to receive their own birth cert or details of their identity. And that would include cousins of the deceased mother. Now, I... I Who may never have known about the child. In the first instance. And, you know, I I also know from uh, being a member of the Collaborative Forum, which sits ironically at the Department of Children and Youth Affairs, that there are a great many natural mothers who who want to get past this this shame that was imposed upon them by successive governments and society at large and they want hmm. their experiences known about they want to be able to acknowledge their the children who were taken from them and if we keep if we keep perpetuating this image of the terrified woman we are doing a complete disservice to yeah. such women Susan, because the, the, no no adopted person is going to take out an ad in the national press to say oh I now know that my name is you know Mary yeah. Smith and uh, my mother was Jane Smith that's just not going to happen yes. and the irony the second irony is is that uh, the birth cert of adopted people are public records and the only people who can't access them are the adopted people themselves. So the village gossip can happily wander into the General Registrar's Office research room and look up her neighbour, Jane Smith, to see, oh, did Jane have a baby back in 1964? Oh, look, she did. So this is, it's a false argument. Yeah. Uh, it should just simply not be repeated. Again, the Minister this morning was talking about legal rights of, 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 of mother. Is there a legal right in law for a mother to be contacted and, and, and her permission sought if the child she had 30, 40 years ago wants their file or wants their information? No, there is no legislation for that. because. So why do they keep every, saying it then? Because they're referring to a, court, a Supreme Court case in 1998 which established an, the unenumerated right to privacy in the Constitution. So they use that as the basis for saying they need to contact such mothers. Um, but we, you know, we're absolutely certain that they are misinterpreting that piece of legislation because, of course, privacy is a two-way street. Privacy is, is more than just the right to secrecy or confidentiality. By the state inter- directly interfering in the private lives of, a, of thousands, tens of thousands of adopted people, our rights to a private life unencumbered by the state 
um, are being impinged on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah. And if we look at all the other children in the state, I have, I am lucky enough, I have a son. My details and, and my husband's details appear on his birth cert. They are public records. There will never be a situation when I, where I could appeal to have my, my details redacted from his birth cert. That's just not going to happen. And the, the Irish state persists in this idea that uh, unmarried mothers are, and those who they incarcerated in various institutions are a special case. And of course, nobody would believe that they're doing this to protect the interests of of such mothers. They are doing this to protect the interests of the state and its dubious reputation. Susan, whether this argument is over or not with regard to the change made last night, I suppose that'll run and run. I'm hoping to talk to our Mm. mutual friend Mary Steed over the next few days uh, and and she'll she'll have read through it in in detail. I want to ask you though about the report. What we're hearing is it's 4,000 pages and it's and mm. it's harrowing, and and I, I think I'm not alone in saying I not only cannot wait to read it, I dread reading it. Indeed, uh, I mean it's the sheer volume of it uh, alone is is going to make it incredibly difficult for any one individual to digest it. I think it will have, to, um, you know, certainly across you know our adoption rights alliance team, there'll be people who will focus on certain institutions. I think we shall probably tackle it on that basis. But I, I'm glad to hear that it's going to make harrowing reading because for too long, yeah, for too long the experiences of, of the women and children in those institutions have been denied. And people will often, particularly when it comes to the children, they'll say, oh, you're only babies, you've no recollection of that. Um, a child ripped from its mother's arms might not be able to articulate the pain and grief it felt but it holds that grief and pain at a cellular level for years to come and then we also know certainly in relation to Tum and Bespra and St. Patrick's on the Navan Road that children were just left there to literally rot. They were deprived of an education. They were deprived of access to proper medical care. They were sometimes used in illegal vaccine trials, particularly where the nuns felt that they were not quite the best candidates for adoption. And that would include children of mixed race uh, background, Mm -hmm. children who had an obvious physical disability um, or were were deemed to be fragile. you know, so there are, I would know people, I was shocked to discover that they were in those homes, you know, anything up until eight or nine years of age before being dispatched yes. to another awful institution such as an industrial school. Yes. So there are people around today, the so-called children, who have vivid recollections of the neglect and abuse they endured in those places. And I really hope that Yvonne Murphy and her team have done justice to those memories. Yeah. And I think if the report isn't harrowing, um, well, then we've, we've, a valuable opportunity will have been lost. We as a, you know, as a collective, the Irish, the citizens of the Irish state, we need to feel 
the anguish in this report because we need to be ashamed and resolve not to repeat such actions again. Okay. But of course, you know, that's that's wishful thinking perhaps. We'll, 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 we'll know it only once once the thing is, is published and I, I hope that people like yourself get a chance to come back and talk to me again about it when it has been published. Uh, Susan, Susan uh, John in Mayfield, you mentioned the industrial schools. John, mm. I don't know whether you can cast any light on this. Do we have any clarity what will happen with the connection between, like you said, children born in these homes and then went straight to industrial schools, will we have access to that kind of record? Well, it seems to us that absolutely everybody now whose personal information was previously wrapped up in a Commission of Inquiries archive now has every opportunity to um, make an application for those records. And the archive of the Ryan report, it's, that is not in limbo. That is sitting at the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. So I, I would encourage anybody who feels that there's still untold narrative about them held in, held in files somewhere, yeah. I would appeal to them to make their application, but not to be, not to be directed by officials down the FOI route. They must make a data protection application under yeah. GDPR. And we, we have, on our website, we have information on that. And, how it's going and, I, and I would encourage people to follow the likes of Fred Logue or Simon McGar on Twitter. Yes. These, these, these people are experts in this area and they will certainly direct people appropriately. Okay. Susan, I just leave you go. We've come a long way since the time when you know you'd get we used to get complaints when we talked about this on the radio <laughs> now we're now we can talk yeah. about it openly we've come a long way we're not there yet but we've come a long way well actually could i just offer you know our sincerest thanks to everybody who came on board on the campaign which adoption rights alliance justice for magdalene's research and the clan project launched last week we are genuinely overwhelmed and delighted with the response and, and sometimes, you know, I, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, sometimes we forget that not everybody knows what we know. And it really resonated with people. It resonated across the board in the Shannon and the Doyle. And, you know, individual legislators were just fantastic. Okay. They did their research. And, and thank you to everybody who participated in that. All right. No doubt we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Susan Law and the co-founder of Adoption Rights Alliance. Colm's been listening. Colm, good morning. Good morning. How are you? You wanted to make um, a point about this. I do. I actually don't accept what O'Gorman said in this morning. Um, the da- Deputy Data Protection Commissioner last week said that there was no need for the legislation. Yeah. And that the 2018 um, Data Protection Act protected us. Now, they've changed their story on a number of occasions in relation to this. What they said actually in one of the releases this morning is the reason they, that, that they had to do it was that if they retracted as everything would be destroyed. But last week what they said is that everything was going to be destroyed unless yeah. they passed a bill. Yeah. No, it's not being destroyed. There are more questions to be answered and what's happened so far. I think what you're saying, and I think Susan is saying the devil's in the detail, but it what is, you're saying is this isn't enough. No, it's not enough. They have to come out and explain why they did it. They have to, they're saying today that the Attorney General is agreeing with what the Data Protection Commissioner said last Monday week. Mm. So why did the bill go through? Why did they create this furrow for everybody who's involved? 
It's not. It's really not acceptable. They're upsetting people. I mean, there's there's another side to this, which it's not in this one, but they're they're trying to pass a um, a bill. It's called the the retention of records bill and seal records for seventy five years in relation to the inquiry into the China Bruce, which is the Ryan Report, Mm -hmm. the Redress Board, and also in relation to the industrial schools. That's not acceptable. And it's, it's probably These records should be open people. But what they're saying, I mean, this actually failed in the last file, but they're going to try it again in this time. Yeah. John, for no reason other than time, Colm, I will leave it there. Thank you very much. Uh, this is one that's going to run. Trust me, it's going to run. Uh, people were asking me why I wasn't talking about it more in the last couple of weeks. is because I was kind of waiting for this day, kind of waiting for the publication of the report, and we will read it and look at what's in it. And this pursuit of the right to your information is one we'll follow, I promise you, more closely than anybody. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up uh, just before half past ten, if anybody knows the intricacies and the ins and outs and the details and who'll be happy and who won't about what's happened with Cork City FC, it'll be our own Trevor Welsh. And I'll talk to Trevor uh, around about half past ten on the latest developments. And if you have any thoughts on it, we'd like to hear from you. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96mm.ie. On the mother and baby homes issue, Kate says it's well known they picked the best children for comfortable homes. They were graded in every way, physically, intellectually, and the pick were sent to America. And Kate, there's a book and I've recommended it many times on the show and I'll recommend it again. It was updated a few years ago and I'll say this, very much, very few books, in fact I could count them on one hand, very few books that I've read in my adult life have made me cry several times. Banished Babies by Mike Malott is one such book and I would recommend again at this time anyone who's even remotely interested in the story of the Irish mother and baby homes get your hands on a copy of Banished Babies by Mike Malott read it and weep at what went on in this country Jerry says the government have closed the whole issue of mother and baby homes and have covered the state and religious orders by passing this bill for generations as GDPR will be used to prevent so much information from getting out personally I feel the bill will have to be challenged in court by some group to get the information and justice deserved by survivors and their families. And Slaughter says the government gave anonymity to all the workers and nuns who gave evidence. This assures they will not be convicted. 1850-715-996 has had that report out. Well, it's out tomorrow. It goes to the minister, then the attorney general, and then it'll eventually get published. Could take days, could take weeks. We don't know. We just have to wait and see. We were talking yesterday at the end of the show, and we'll do more on this maybe tomorrow, about parents sending their children back to school next week. Are you comfortable doing so in the whole COVID-19 scenario? But on top of that, and that concern, the ASTI, the Secondary Teachers Union, has now voted for strike action. And it says now that this would be a last resort in a campaign for COVID-19 safety issues to be addressed in school. It voted for industrial action unless the government provided a comprehensive testing programme 
with turnaround times of 24 hours. They also want a redefinition of close contacts for school settings and appropriate arrangements for teachers categorised as high risk. And you'll remember towards the end of yesterday's programme, I spoke to a mom whose son, her, her son's class in school, had a positive case. He was a close contact. He's had two tests and he's negative and that's fine. But the rigmarole that she had to go through to get one test, get a second test, it just, she'd lost all faith in the system, even though the school had done its its level best. Let's catch up with the ASTI though. Anne Lochnan is an English and Irish teacher and a member of their steering committee here in Cork. Anne, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Is this an appropriate time for teachers to be threatening strike? I suppose I'd like to begin by reassuring everybody and all of your listeners that that is, as you stated at the beginning, the very last resort for us. And I know it's a headline media issue, but our preference is to negotiate, to engage with the DES and the health authorities to resolve these issues. That is what we want to do. We're most anxious to do it. And we're doing it in the interests of safety, safety for everybody who's in the school system. And also so that schools can remain open in a sustainable fashion so that these items which are outstanding and which need to be addressed will not lead to further problems and possibly closures in school. But you don't vote for a striker unless you think you might do it. Well, it, obviously, if we're not, um, I suppose, um, helped and listened to in these issues, these are a huge concern. These are health issues. These go to the very core of health and safety. And I suppose people's lives are on the line in this system. So it's a very serious issue. And we need to ensure that everything possible is done to uh, ensure a safe working environment as far as is possible. So there are outstanding issues that need to be addressed. And yes, mm. we take the issue very seriously. And that is factually within what we voted for, but it does say up to and including. So I would hope that we would never reach that stage and most of our members don't want to go that route. But we do want the government to take us seriously on these issues. I spoke to your president and uh, fellow Corkonian Anne Piggott recently on the show about the whole uh, worry with regard to Level 5 and as far as we know, everyone's going back to school as normal uh, next Monday. Does that concern you? We are concerned with the outstanding issues. We we do want schools to open and we do want them to stay open. I think that is really the key message I want to give you here. I know that there has been a headline about strike, but it is our focus on keeping schools open that has led us to, I suppose, have this vote, this ballot. We really want everything possible done to go back to school on Monday and to stay in school for the rest of the year. It has been aired very often in the media and we totally believe that school is the best place for students. It is the best place for engagement and for learning. both educationally and socially and every other aspect of learning is best maintained in the school setting. So we absolutely want to be in school. It's also, I suppose, much more fulfilling for teachers to be in school and in contact with their students rather than the online system, which happened very suddenly. And it was quite difficult for both students and teachers the last time. And that is as well why we have asked for more resources to be put in so that should it happen that schools may have to close, and I mean if they had to close for COVID reasons, yeah. that all students would be on a level playing pitch and would have adequate resources, which they didn't have on the last occasion. So that's one of the other issues that we voted on, yeah. that adequate resources would be provided for as all in, as students. As in for, for remote teaching and things like that. Give, give me two or three things, if you can make three out of it, great, because three is always nice. Can you give me three things that the government could and should do in the next week, ten days, 
that that would 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 please the ASTI and and ease the tension, as it were. We need clarity, we need transparency, and we need standardisation. We need clarity on close contacts. There's a huge amount of confusion about what a close contact is. I can go into some of the scenarios that have happened where uh, teachers, and you know, in those instances, they will be in classrooms for 40 minutes and in most cases, one hour with students. In the cases where students in classrooms were identified as having COVID, some of those teachers have never been called for contact tracing. They've not been identified as close contacts. Others have. This is very hard for people to understand and is causing a lot of anxiety. So we need clarity on how this is being organised and why different standards seem to apply in different areas. Mm. Uh, That would tie in with transparency. We need to be told the detail of how these decisions are being made and we need standardisation across all the schools in all the country as to the process, as to what happens. Uh, We need um, this delay in returning test results is causing huge, um, I suppose, anxiety for everybody involved. In some cases, they're coming back reasonably rapidly, but not in all cases. We've asked for 24-hour return. We think in a vital service like education that this should be happening in all instances. Mm. I mean, we've seen a high-profile case. Do you think that there should be a specific fast-track testing system for the schools alone? Well, schools and health workers and people who are, I don't want to give a list, you know, a defined list, but certainly schools are a priority and people involved in schools should be a priority. And we've asked for a 24-hour return time, which we think is reasonable. You see, it's not just the anxiety, there is that as well. But while this long wait is continuing, there's quite a strong danger that there would be further spread of of COVID during Mm -hmm. that lag time. So it's actually leading to more problems for the health service. Particularly given the number of youngsters in particular who are completely asymptomatic and, and, and don't know that they have anything wrong with them let alone carrying the virus. So how long, Anne, is ASTI willing to give the government to come up with a plan of action? Has there been any response so far from Norma Foley, say? Uh, well, there has been. Certainly we have written to the DES asking for uh, engagement on these issues and our executive committee will be meeting within the next few days. And we're going to be reasonable about this, but the time is not unending. You know, we've asked for action on this by the end of October and right. we need something to happen and we but need that, to that's see That's only goodwill. a few days. That, that's, well, that's actually this weekend is the end of October. So you'll have to extend well, by, that deadline. By saying that, that doesn't mean that there's going to be something like a strike on Monday. Far from no, it, no, we're very no, reasonable. but for example, if you were going to have a strike, you have to give strike notice of, isn't it, seven days under the law. So, so when is that decision likely to be? Well, as I said to you, our executive makes these decisions. We're meeting in the next few days to assess the outcome of the ballot and to look at how we may proceed. But I speak for the vast majority of teachers and people who are involved in negotiating with the, within the ASTI, with the DES. We really want these matters resolved in a reasonable and peaceful manner. Yeah. And we don't want any disruption for ourselves, for our students, for parents, for all the stakeholders. I really want to want to suppose emphasize that we are doing that we are calling for these issues to be tackled right. for safety reasons a, a caller is reminding me and I had made a note to remind you myself of a teacher I spoke to last week who who um, was saying he was perfectly happy to be back at work and uh, quite adamant that his colleagues were perfectly happy to be back at work and and wanted to stay at work. Is that a majority view? Absolutely, absolutely. That is 
I would almost say it's unanimous among teachers and as far as it can be with the thousands of teachers. So that how there. did a strike ballot get passed then, if that's the case? Uh, it wasn't a strike in relation to leaving work. It, was a stri- it wasn't a ballot in relation to wanting to leave work. It was a ballot on these issues that have to be tackled to ensure a safe environment. It's not about wanting to leave work. I totally agree with your listener. Of course we want to be in school. I think I said that to you already. Yes, you it is by far the best place for all of us to be. We miss school so much during the spring months. It was quite a traumatic experience for everybody because it happened so suddenly and I think neither teachers nor students were prepared for it. And we all muddled through as best we could, some better than others, depending on resources and all the rest of it. But we, we want the, the education system managed in a, I suppose, a more organised fashion so that we are ready for what may happen, particularly in the area of providing resources, but also in the areas I've outlined to you in relation to the comprehensive testing programme. And you alluded to it before I mentioned it. We have concerns about, you know, there are quite a lot of cases called community transmission. And we worry that this may link up with asymptomatic students in school because that would be one of the reasons for wanting the testing. Asymptomatic, as you know, it's not easily identified. And while these people may not be symptomatic, yeah. They are still passing on the virus. Teachers are very teachers are very much on on the front line, and like any other worker on the front line, are entitled to have their their health and those of their loved ones protected. But there's medical staff. There's there's other people out there taking risks every day. Are the are the unions looking for special treatment for the teachers? Absolutely not. And we are very cognizant of all the people who are absolutely pulling their weight in this crisis as are we doing our very best to keep the schools open and I think this ballot has to be seen in the context of wanting to keep the schools open you know the less problems that we have in school the less COVID uh, I suppose uh, um, infections that happen through the school system well, the less problems that will arise in down the road in the health system. So we're all really, you know, as the phrase has been going for quite a while, we are all in this together. What happens in one area affects the other. You've been very measured, in fairness to you, Anne, this morning. If we were to speak again in a week and nothing had happened, would you be as measured? I think that the Department and uh, the Department of Education and the teaching unions want to keep the schools open. I think we all have this priority, so I am very confident that the Department will work with us to keep the schools open and to resolve these issues. I would be very disappointed if anything else were the case. All right. OK, we will talk again, I've no doubt, uh, to you or one of your colleagues. That's Anne Lochnan, who is a member of the ASCI Steering Committee here in Cork. She's a teacher of English and Irish in West Cork. They've taken a ballot, which allows them to take strike action. They have to do that under industrial relations law. If they are going to go on strike, they have to serve notice. That's another bit of the law. But so far, she's saying that's not what we want to do at all. We want to sit down and sort out the problems in our workplace. Catherine says the teachers should be put on a COVID payment if they're not working. That would change their minds. The frontline staff and all essential staff like shop assistants, preschools, delivery people, you don't hear them shouting. Tell the teachers, grow up and get on with it, says Catherine. 1850 I'm asked again for the copy or for the name of the book I recommended to you on mothers and baby homes. It's one of many now. It's one of many, but it's probably the most harrowing book I ever read about it. It's called Banished Babies. Banished Babies. And it was written by a fellow called Mike Millot, M I. Double L O T T E M I double L O T T E. You should be able to get it at any one of the 
the sites or you might be able to pick it up. Well, you can't pick it up in bookshops now, but you know what I mean. Banished Babies by Mike Malop. There's an up. You need to get the updated edition. It, it's if you're in any way in doubt with regard to the mother and baby homes, and you don't know where to to stand, read that book. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Corks ninety six FM's hit mix is one year online. So to celebrate, we're giving away five hundred euro to one loyal listener. For your chance to win, follow Cork's 96FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag HitMixMoney. HitMixMoney. 500 euros. Cork's 96FM's HitMix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Actually, another thing you could do and do yourselves no harm at all by watching over the weekend, or even reading if you can put your hands on the book, um, Philomena, the movie uh, about uh, Philomena Lee. Watch that movie if your mind still needs to be made up about the mother and baby homes. It's I think it's on Netflix or Amazon or some one of those. You find it over the weekend. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on the teachers. I get their concerns, says Mags. I really do. But in fairness, every other frontline worker is just getting on with it and has been since March. These guys are back to two months, and some, not all, have done nothing but complain. My daughter is immunocompromised as her teacher, as is her teacher, and having spoken in depth to him, he wants to and has no issue with working through it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let's go back to the story that's leading our sports news, and it's one of those days as well where sport becomes news and gets into the front pages, and that is the decision that Cork City Football Club will now be sold for one euro to the owner of a company who owns Preston North End. It's it's strange and it's complicated and a lot of questions are being asked today and one man who's been across it since day one on his award-winning Sunday show, The Score, has been our own Trevor Welsh. Trevor, good morning. Morning, Paige. Can I have a history lesson, please, Trev? Yeah, well, I'll just read out one quote. I was speaking to a few Force members actually uh, late last night in this morning, Peach, and, you know, just put you in the frame. Uh, it's, it's a sad day, really, because uh, one of the ones was, I believe, the correct decision was made as much as the pains may recognise the bigger picture and need to secure our future. Unfortunately, irreparable damage meant uh, that Forrest were unable to continue to run the club. Um, you know, just going back to the history, I suppose, Peach, Forrest was set up uh, as, uh, you know, a supporters club to, to support the club not to run the club in 2008 but you know to support the club in what they needed like gym equipment and and so on you know but um they did absolutely brilliant work as you as we know you know that Cork City were in Europe four years running winning the double the most successful period in the in the club's history since 1984 but um you know how, how did they come to be running the club they were a supporters group initially for friends of the rebel army society how did they become to be running the club um, well, they, I suppose, they just took took over the reins and felt that the fan-owned club was the best way forward. And um, you know that they looked at the model, I suppose, been done, 
in other countries um, in other clubs around Ireland even you know you look at um, you look at Shamrock Rovers and Bohemians uh, for example and uh, seem to be successful and that they wanted to take responsibility for the club that they felt that Hold up What was that? Boring No flavor That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Club members would would have more passionate than someone coming in as, as a kind of an investor, I suppose. And uh, that they have the club at heart and that have set up the community side of things, which unfortunately now comes on the question with, uh, you know, Preston coming in. I believe that Trevor Hemmings, uh, Peach, um, you know, the Preston owner, uh, is portrayed as a good guy. His heart is in the right place. But, you know, Peter Ridgedale, who's the advisor, uh, came up with a statement yesterday saying that they've got to move really quickly now uh, on this because they have to get a license. Uh, so they have to talk to the FA really quickly to get a license to be in football next season. And he also said in a statement they need to get City back into top flight after first year and back into Europe because they want to return obviously the business people and with that in mind I think the idea would be to get some Preston players over maybe to help out because mm. they, they seem very confident that they can get City back up in the first year because let's let's deal with the Preston thing and, and deal with the massive success that was there like there was League and Cup doubles there was successive years in European football like that all brings money Trev so how do you go from that level of success and being the biggest and most talked about club in the country with the biggest gates in the country and a massively yeah. loyal fan base to A, relegation, and B, being sold? How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. Um, you know, they were in, as we mentioned earlier, they were, in, they were in Europe, you're right, and the biggest gates in the country. They sold off a few players as well, but... Um, I just think, you know, at one stage the wage bill would have been very high um, and maybe... How high is high? I mean, obviously we know the kind of telephone numbers that Premier League players get in the UK. What's the average wage of a professional player in the League of Ireland? Yeah, it varies. You know, it, it depends. Um, at one stage, I'd say, you know, the Cork City players, we, we paid good money. Um, mm. You know, when we were, we had to, to spend, I suppose, to compete with the likes of Dundalk, um, yeah. you know, and you had to bring in the best players and the players will go where the money is, you know, yourself, Peach. It's a yeah. merry-go-round, really, in, in terms of League of Ireland football and they'll go where the money is. But uh, it's, it's hard to sustain that kind of that kind of wage bill, I suppose. And unfortunately, they didn't save for the rainy day, you know. Yeah. And, um, how How big an impact did, did COVID have? Was it the straw that broke the back? I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, from a football playing side of things, you you, you know, Cork City have great fans and you, you, you'd have thought they'd got behind them and really, uh, you know, really got behind them in a way that, you know, they, they might get, perform better, get better results, but it's hard to know. I mean, the thing is, you know, the FAI did help out with the COVID situation. Obviously, it wasn't ideal and um, the other thing was a shortened season and you, you think you might be grasping at straws to say if it was a full season Cork City might have survived it but uh, the writing was on the wall from a long way out I mean uh, in Neil Fenn's time when he came in there was you know we didn't have one win away from home uh, we had only two wins um, against against Finn Harps one of the bottom sides and Sligo Rovers but uh, you know 
uh, on hindsight, uh, you, 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 a lot of questions we asked. Like, Losing Johnny kept, Caulfield didn't yeah, help. I, I was just going to, I was just going to come to a PJ. I mean, if if they kept John Caulfield, I mean, what were we in the fact him uh, fifth or sixth in the table? You would have liked to thought that John Caulfield would have uh, would have consolidated and we would have finished, you know, mid table thereabouts. I don't think we'd have been relegated on the John Caulfield. You saw the job he's done there already at Galway, almost creating a miracle to get him into the playoffs. He was only a, a point short of it in the end, one goal short. And um, you know, you'd like to think that if if they hung on to John Coffey, we might have we might have survived that we wouldn't be in the first division now. Yeah. But uh, that's the way it is. There's a close relationship with Preston North End. There there has been for many years. In particular, the transfer of of the great Shawnee Maguire, of course, was the biggest story there. What will happen now? Is it you see? Is this a takeover, Trev? Do they become a partner with Preston? Do we know what what shape this will? Yeah. Be? No, I think we all know that uh, you know it's a hundred percent takeover. There'll be no forest representation. Um, you know, forest. So forest continue. won't be on the board at all. No, no they, board. They can't be too happy about that. It's, no, it's a hundred percent takeover. So that's why you, there's a few concerns there. Obviously, you know yourself. Like, there's been great voluntary workers down the years. The likes of Noel Feeney, the likes of the late uh, Noel Feeney, and and John F. Ken- uh, John, uh, John Kennedy, so JFK as we call him. Jim Henry. Um, yeah. They put in great work down the years, um, uh, and and as volunteers, and you know, work the community side of the club uh, really hard. We believe the Preston have a bit of community in their in their setup as well, but I'm not sure. But it's definitely a hundred percent takeover. Right. Uh, so Forest could continue uh, to support the club like they did originally when they set up in two thousand and eight. They won't be happy with not even being represented on the board. Yeah, no, there's 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 a, there's a actually. No representation, as far as I believe at all. It'll be a hundred percent takeover. Okay. Can they get a license, Trevor, and keep keep playing in the first division? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing this morning, uh, Pj, actually, is that you know I said at the outside that Preston will have to act very quickly now to get a license uh, with the FAI. But I'm hearing this morning as well that Forest could get the license and um, then hand it over oh. uh, to Preston. Oh. Yeah. But. Um, you know, you just hope, like from a Cork City fan I've been all my life, yeah. that, uh, you know, they're in it for the long haul and it'll, they'll consolidate and they'll straighten Cork City and looking at the bigger picture, you know, you just wonder if they walked away what would happen in a few years. We just hope that they're, they're in it for the right reason, their heart is in it. What will uh, Noel and JFK and Jimmy H, what will they be thinking, do you think, Trev? Yeah, they In the big, in the big clubhouse in the sky. Yeah, that have been heartbroken, I'd say, you know, because all, all the work that went in, you know, it's it's our club, you know, that was the, the pride and that was uh, a Cork City force and say we own a bit of Cork City, you know, it's our club and uh, we own it and we make the decisions and we bring the community in and, you know, the pride and winning trophies with our club fan base. But now it's, you know, it's handed over to an English company, an English club, and, um, you know, we have to see what they come up with. But I know that, you know, some of the Forest members were, were, were very kind of um, angry that, you know, uh, they never came out of a real proposal. The Forest members didn't really know exactly the full details, the mm. conflicting messages, you know, yeah. coming across. And in the, they had an information meeting ahead of the actual vote, and there was no representation from Preston there either. So there was a few things, yeah. you know, that would have upset a lot of Forest members, I would imagine. What's, finally, what's this deal with selling it for a euro? What's that about? Yeah, they, they just have to pay something for the club, but they'll take on all the liabilities then, Pete. So they're responsible for, we'd say, Bishopstone, the lighting there, paying the players' contracts, 
cutting the grass, everything. They'll take over every debt then. I'm not sure exact what exactly the debt is for Cork City. There's been various figures branded, but it, it's pretty sizable. And uh, they'll take over all that debt and they'll take over all the liabilities then going forward. All right, Trevor, listen, thanks for bringing us up to speed on it. I know it's one that's dividing the soccer community in Cork, but here's hoping, here's hoping that, uh, you know, we're, we're both we're both supporters and that the mm. club will come back and that maybe this time next year we'll be talking in much happier terms. Yes, hopefully, Paige. Trevor, take, mind yourself, take care. That's Trevor Welch, my double IMRO award-winning colleague here on Cork's 96FM, presenter of The Score on Sunday afternoon and online on the 96FM app, Premier League Live, on Saturday afternoon. I'll give you details, actually, uh, of the matches that he'll be doing tomorrow, uh, powered by TalkSport on Premier League Live and of course, uh, European Champions League commentator on Virgin Media He's a busy, busy boy This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 83 in a time when our news is weighed down by COVID-19 from one end of the day and one end of the week to the other and it dominates shows and dominates entire days. It's not actually dominating today, which is good. There's a bit of there, but not a whole lot. A bit of good news is always important. And as a resident of Douglas, I am happy, thrilled and excited to read that the Tesco, or the Douglas Shopping Centre with Tesco as the anchor tenant, will reopen on the 12th of November. We spoke a couple of months ago to Bartos Mizala, who is the general manager down there. And remember, the repair work and the rebuilding after the terrible fire at the end of August of last year, that was all held up by COVID. It was all held up by by the pandemic and the restrictions and the lockdown. But Bartos, the the last time you were on me, you gave me a date of the 12th of November. It's going to happen. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it is. It is happening. Uh, two weeks time from from today, so yes, we are opening on the twelfth, um, and we're delighted. We'll have Tesco open and Marks and Spencers will be open as well. As you said, we'll also have Bank of Ireland. We'll have Farvich Pharmacy open, who's currently trading. Pharmacy First Plus as well will be open. We'll have Breslin Butchers, Eurogiant, Air, and uh, two of our coffee shops uh, planned to be open for a takeaway as well, which is uh, Puccino's and Starbucks. So that brings us to to 10 shops um, on the 12th and uh, that's all that, you know, they're the only businesses at the moment allowed to trade given the, the current level, you know. Yeah. Has anybody been lost? I mean, obviously those that will be coming back can't open because of level five for the duration, but has anybody been lost? Uh, yeah, we, we've lost post office, obviously, as you know, we've lost Maxi Zoo, we've lost some fashion. Uh, there's still a number of shops where there's a good bit of uncertainty and, um, I know we don't know whether they will be in a position to be back or not, you know. Mm. And even, you know, some of the units were they were looking quite quite certain uh, before level five was was announced. Now they're, you know, they're rethinking everything again, you know. So I mean, it's like pandemic has a has a huge impact on on, on things, you know. Yeah. At this point, at time, like I, I'm not able to give a, okay. you know, an, okay. an exact mix that yeah. will be returning. And to be so, honest, like we're we're only realize we're only. You know, we'll only find out as we go along into the into, into the next month and the next month and into the new year. Yeah. Sure, sure. Trying to rebuild after the devastation of the fire and trying to get everything, um, you know, up and running again and the amount of work that had to be done. The pandemic certainly didn't help. It, it slowed you down terribly, didn't it? 
Yes, big time, big time. You know, we we haven't slowed down and we haven't closed down, but you know, luckily at some point we were able to come back. We had to adopt into the new new rules and the new setup, and it's 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 still hard because there's a lot of activity on site, but. You know, you're you're working with a fear of a of a virus as well. Mm. You need to be very conscious of social distancing all the time. The works in some areas, you know, goes at a normal pace, but in other areas it has to go slower because, let's say, if you imagine like a room that you're fitting out or even a, a an electrical switch room, you would have five six electricians in it. In, in the normal circumstances, now you can only have one or two at the best. So, so it's very challenging, you know, and yeah. that and and that applies to everything, and it applies to the. Yeah. Has shop it, owners and their fit-outs and everything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Has it been a straight rebuild or, or will there be differences to what we were used to before the fire? Uh, no, it's pretty much the same. You know, it's, uh, we were just repairing. So, you know, we, we've kept things as they were. Um, I think I had mentioned to you before, like, even though it's not a requirement, we, we've decided to install a sprinkler system within the campus now. Uh, so that has gone in. We've retiled all the flooring um, on the mall. And obviously, everything is freshly painted and, you know, yeah. just and then you sign it and stuff. And we're preparing for Christmas as well. Tesco have done a big upgrade in their store. So, so that, that, would, that, that looks very well, you know. So the customer would see a completely new, new layout, more enhancing the, the shopping experience. So, okay. so that's a very positive and, and, and people will be able to see that on the club because they will be open, you know. So, okay. so in M&S, there's some investment in the store. Yeah. So, as a resident of as a resident of Douglas, who has missed my favourite shopping centre, um, I'm yeah, so looking so. forward to it. So looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, we are as well, and and it's, you know we obviously very appreciate all the support and all the kind words that that we get from everywhere. And like we're very we're very close to the end of that difficult path we had in relation to to you know to our setup. We're not you know we haven't overcome everything yet. Um, cause we're still in the pandemic, so you know. Unfortunately, some of the people won't be able to see our smiles because they'll be covered by masks or shields <laughs> or other stuff. But we'll do our best to welcome everybody as All well right. as, as we can. You know? All right. Well, listen. Looking forward to it, and I'll I'll, I'll see you soon. Uh, Bartos Mizala, the general manager of Douglas Village Shopping Centre. They gave us a date, twelfth of November, and on the twelfth of November, Tesco will reopen, Marks and Spencers will reopen, others won't, others won't, for now. But the shopping centre is back and up and running as in from the 12th of November, which is a huge success story when you consider and wind your clocks back to the early days of September 2019 when we were here talking about cars burnt out and the whole place destroyed and cranes lifting cars out and, and, and all that. Think from then to now the job that's been done in the middle of a pandemic. If that's not good news... I don't know what is. 1850-715-996. Now, sadly, very sadly, it's not quite the same for everybody. And I guess as we're talking about, put him through there, Terry, if he's ready. As we're talking about Douglas coming back and and Douglas ready to rock and roll, uh, we unfortunately learned that a business very close to us here uh, in, in McCurtain Street, just around the corner, a short walk from us but they won't be reopening uh, PJ Foley from Vanity Hair it's it's a, it's a sad day Pete good morning to you Hey PJ how are you doing? Not so bad how are you? I'm here now and my husband David is sitting beside me Okay. Hi PJ how are you? Hi David how are you doing lads? It's been a hard hard decision but you've had to close Yeah do you know what it's been a long week <laughs> 
So I suppose since we made the decision last week, um, I've had to tell my staff, I've had to tell my clients. Yeah. It's been just, it's just been so difficult, but I know in my heart is the right decision for me and my family. Um, it's just sad to say goodbye. Like, my staff are out of work now for Christmas, and it's just heartbreaking. Is it the COVID that did it? It's just, it's, it was so difficult to get back on our feet after the last lockdown. And, like, uh, I just said, oh, it'll be fine, everything will work out. And then, like, it's big sun and it costs money. So... It was what it was. I just had to sit down and I had to talk to myself and just kind of convince myself. I was, like I was fighting and losing battle constantly. And like so many of my friends in business are doing the same thing. And I just, I couldn't take it anymore. Like it was draining me physically and mentally. So I just said, right, this is it. And I just took my opportunity. I contacted my landlord, the Metropole Hotel. They've been absolutely fantastic. They've been so supportive. And I just said, lads, I can't do it anymore. And they just said, okay. Mm. And then I contacted my staff. They were obviously very upset. How many staff do you and have? So we had, there was 10 of us working in total inside in the salon. We had staff out on the payroll, and we had staff that worked independently and freelance, but they were all a team. We were all great friends, and we all worked really well together. And without them, you know, the salon wouldn't have been what it was, and I'm so grateful and so thankful for all the years that they've put in all the hard work. They are absolutely incredible, and I have no doubt that each and every one of them will go on to have successful careers in different salons or whatever they may do. They're sad today, but I know they will be happy again once they get themselves sorted. COVID has affected so many people in so many different ways, but this is the second fallout from COVID. Why they decided to close hairdressers is beyond me. They could have done something so simple. They could have said us one-on-one. They could have done... We were the most clinical and most hygienic environments. It was a question that I often asked, actually, PJ, of hairdressers, many of them in the course of this. Like, we were told since day one, wash your hands, use soap and water. Dear Lord, soap and water, it flows through a hairdresser's like a river. Oh, look, PJ, our hands are constantly in water. To be fair, my hands have been bleeding for the last six months. I've been washing them so much. Yeah. You know, it's like, look, all my staff, they were credit to themselves. There hasn't been one case of COVID in any salon I know. Yes. Yeah. You know, look, COVID is what it is. Obviously, we're going to have to follow NEFID and we're going to have to follow government guidelines. But what's the price of it? What is the actual price of COVID? You know? You, you know, don't you? And you've talked about your staff and how they'll be sorted. You know this will work out for you and David, don't you? Oh, listen, I am so confident. I'm a hard worker. I've been working since I was 14 years old. It was so destroying for me to contact the revenue and say I needed help with the PUP payments and whatever, the grants. I've always grown up that we work for a living, you make your money. It's not given to you. And I think for me personally, that was very hard for me to contend with. I've 
Not your work. failure. You know that, don't you? It wasn't my failure. And I think that was something that I had to accept. And I, it's still something that I, I do struggle with. But now I feel like I'm after just taking control of my life again. I feel like I'm I'm such a positive place, even though as sad as now as I am today, I will wake up tomorrow. The weight of the world now is off my shoulders. And I want to thank everyone that's reached out to me this morning. Your love and your kindness and your support means so much to me and my family. It really, really does. And my staff. My husband, David, has been a rock throughout all this. He's been so supportive. But he's the one that has been listening to me for the last six months, whinging. Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Oh, the book looks quiet tomorrow. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to pay the staff this week. Oh, I have the PUP. And it, it was just constant. And there's no, no one wants to run a business like that. And I certainly, it's just last week, when they announced six weeks, I was prepared for three Six weeks, I find it very excessive. I think every retailer in Cork is obviously praying for a busy December. But I was like, do you know what now? I am not going to try jam-pack every single person I can in for December, burn myself out, not enjoy Christmas with my family if I'm allowed to see my family. So I said, PJ, it's time to call it a day. And that's what we did. Well... There's a little motto that I live by, and, and I've rarely, rarely known it to be wrong. Uh, from one PJ to another, if you don't mind. <laughs> Everything will be okay in the end. Absolutely. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Yeah. And you know what, PJ, that is such a motto to live by. Honestly, I'm such a positive person, and for me to be anyway negative, for anyone that knows me, it's not me. I constantly have a smile on my face. I'm constantly a shoulder for someone to cry on. And today, I say goodbye to Vanity Hair. Obviously, I'm overwhelmed with emotion, but I say goodbye to Vanity Hair. But it's not the end. There is nobody dead. And we'll all push on. And we'll all be smiling again soon. Joe Byrne sends his best wishes. You know, Joe. Oh, Joe, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Listen, look after yourself, fella. Look, I'm going to pop you on to David once to see Oh, yeah, great, great. Oh, hi, PJ, sorry. I how just are you, David? Listen, you know my story, you know how it goes, and you said it there. Listen, myself and PJ, we've always been workers. We're not people that just talk about doing something, we will do it. Yeah. And once we committed to this very hard decision, um, we have to come up with a plan B immediately. There wasn't wasn't even a thought process. And the aim of moving forward is, I, I do believe that larger salons are the places that will struggle at the moment. I think smaller suburban salons will be okay. And that's our goal now. We live in Donnerail and the goal is to get on board with plan B and open a smaller salon hopefully in the coming weeks, maybe before Christmas if we can make it happen and just you know, make it okay again it is very sad, I, you know I agree with everything that PJ said but we did we sat down and we, we did the books and we did the figures and it just, it just wasn't adding up and nothing was the same when we went back after the first lockdown, everything was so restrictive and numbers were halved and half numbers mean half income and incomes, you know, it's, it's money talks and you know, the money just wasn't talking so the decision we've made no, really is is the best it's incredibly sad and like PJ you know we're so grateful to our staff and our, our clients it's been a ride but it's like you said it's not the end it's not over it's just the beginning of of a new chapter one that we didn't see coming unfortunately but it is you know we only relocated to McCurtain Street two and a half years ago but look it is time to say goodbye to it now and start again yeah. you made that it's interesting one that you, you you say smaller salons will will do okay 
Yeah, I think so because of the overheads and you like, like and and the, the the bills that are going out. Like the bigger the salon, the more staff you have, the more the more everything is just doubled and tripled. I think smaller local suburban salons will be get through this because they're used to having a certain amount of clients in a day. They're not paying crazy overheads, but I do think it's the larger, the larger, um, the more staff and the more the more um, you know the bigger the place, it's it's harder for them. I firmly believe that. So that's where our train of thought is. is that you know, um, not necessarily take a step back, but, but just be a little bit more practical at the moment and just, you know, take a, go take for a break more. and breathe. Exactly, exactly. And that's what it is. And COVID has brought this, you know, it's we're not the only ones, you know, we don't want to feel sorry for ourselves. There's many, many other businesses that have had to close down. And But um, we do think that we're in a case that we can move forward and won't be the same pace. But maybe it's the universe telling us that, listen, you need to take a little bit of a step back here and kind of breathe and reboot. And that's where we're at. We'll take a few weeks out now just to get our heads around this. Um, Mourn the loss of our salon, mourn the goodbye to our our staff that we never got any form of kind of closure. It was all done over the phone. It was very cold. It was no staff meeting. You know, it wasn't like face to face with the clients. It was just, it's done in a horrible way. But um, I do believe, without sounding too cliche that week, we can rise above this again and start again and and thrive because we were thriving listening to the years. listening to the two of you I've no doubt that you will do exactly that thank you thank you PJ you take care I'm out of time thanks ever so much to David and PJ from Vanity Hair on McCourton Street two grand lads two lovely lads and they have had to close Covid cost them the business but they're going to set up again uh, smaller out the country where they live in Donnerail Good luck to them both, and I think they probably speak for so many people struggling at the moment, struggling to survive. Um, Good luck to both of you, and good luck to everyone who's in that unenviable position. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text or WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. You can also, if you want, drop us a WhatsApp voice message, if that's what floats your boat. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. Of course, the hashtag is OL96. And that's the first place we put our podcast every day. We tweet it. Usually sometime between 2 and 3 in the afternoon, the first place you'll get our podcast. A lot of listens to our podcast at the moment. I think a lot of people around the world, particularly yesterday in response to that uh, lovely little story, the heartbreaking story about little Bavine. Big response to that yesterday. Uh, and I wonder how the website is doing as a result of, of it being on the program. And of course, you can always contact us through Facebook, the Corks 96 FM Facebook page. Send us a message and address it, please, for the attention of the opinion line. The Baldy Barber uh, was on to say it was so sad to hear about Vanity Hair closing down. He's just the first of many who will have to close. Another message that man made me so sad and heartbreaking. Best of luck. I'm struggling myself right now. And I hope you'll be okay too, whoever you are and whatever it's about. This time, the time will pass, says this text, and wish him all the best. Health is wealth. It's a heart-wrenching story, but it's sadly widespread across the country. Okay, Clodagh and Colin, you know, going ahead going ahead with the wedding in the middle of all of this. You're, you're brave people with all the restrictions. I was saying yesterday, I was on the, 
was on the, the Today Show yesterday with Maura and Dahi, and I was saying, trying to get married under level five restrictions. I'd say it's about as much fun as a flat point. But to anybody doing it at the moment, best of luck. And Cloda and Colin get married tomorrow. And that's from your mum. Is it Colin's mum? Yeah, 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 gotcha. Uh, McCurtain Street, say, the, the, the laundry in McCurtain Street is open. And they're listening down there right now. Laundries are open. Laundries and laundromats and laundrettes are open because they're considered to be an essential service under level five. Anyway, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. You know, we talk so much about what mum can expect when she's pregnant and what she thinks about and what she worries about and what she tries to plan for and and all of that. We never really think about dad, do we? One man not only is thinking about dad, he's about to become a dad in, is it April of 2021? So he has taken to the blogosphere to write about it. The daddy blogger, Rob Armstrong, good morning. Morning, PJ, how are you? I'm not so bad. I read and I laughed frequently. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) And I thought the poor bugger has no idea what lies ahead of him. (laughs) No, and I've, I've had a few uh, dads and friends and people who've had uh, kids reach out and say the exact same thing, but I suppose I'm going into it uh, with just uh, complete, un- complete unknown and just uh, experiencing all the ups and downs that comes with it. When is Ruth due? Uh, she's due on April Fool's Day, so she's <laughs> actually reiterated quite a number of uh, times that she's going to keep her legs closed that day because she doesn't want an April Fool's baby, but... Um, and I don't think my my friends will ever let me live it down that I had an April Fool's baby either. So it's um, it's a running joke at the moment. So uh, yeah, April first anyway is the yeah. So, the so so what have you learned about Ruth since the pregnancy test came back that you didn't know about or that maybe scares you a little? About Ruth, is it? Or yeah, Ruth? about yeah, Ruth and about her being pregnant and about you trying to support her through it. I suppose the, the, the first thing that kind of came back, I just was overwhelmed by just how tired she would be physically. Um, I guess it comes down to her obviously making a baby, but it kind of takes you back that, you, you know, you can't do the same things you normally would have done. We're both quite active people, so you're... You know, your days out or you let's go for a walk or um, might not be as long as they normally are um, and definitely not as active as we could have normally would have been um, we both like to do stand up paddle boarding and can't really do that when you're pregnant in case you fall off or fall onto the board so um, th- those things have definitely changed and I think her tolerance for me has slightly dropped a small bit mm. Um Cracking open a bottle of beer on a Saturday night will be disapproved of. Yeah, yeah. Red wine is not has not been drunk since uh, we found out the news. Ruth does like a glass of red, so I uh, I've not been able to to crack one open or do that. And I took up the ukulele during lockdown. You did Um, what? Yeah, as a kind of a just I was bored and I wanted something to do. And now me practicing it isn't exactly high on our list of... Uh, I'd say you could end up with shards of a ukulele inside your left ear. Yeah, yeah. There's been, uh, been a few moments that she's been close to, to grabbing the thing off me, so it's been, uh, been fun so far. But you know, there's a serious side to this, because it's an anxious yep. time for everybody. And I think that's what you really wanted to address, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, something, pregnancy is not something guys talk about in general. Um, it's a very, obviously, female-centric uh, topic, but I find, you know, it takes two to tango. You know, it's very heavily involved in making the baby, but um, dad gets kind of forgotten about for nine months. But, you know, there's fears and anxieties that come with it. Um, you know, fear of, like, being provided, will I be a good dad? looking after a child, um, where do I go to get the information? And just a lot of this is both um, allowing guys to talk a bit more, having the information there, and for even myself personally, just building up my confidence levels so that I can, um, when the baby does arrive, I know I'm going to be overwhelmed, but I'm going to feel like I'm in somewhat of a better position than I was had I not done anything over these nine months. Yeah. Yeah. You feel or you sound like a fairly confident guy in that you you know, you're you're very little seems to phase you, but but this does, doesn't it? This would phase any man. Yeah, and I think it's I I'd find it very hard to believe that no one is you know, phased by this or doesn't have these thoughts or um doesn't have a moment to themselves where they go, Jeez, um Will yeah, I be able to do this? Yeah. Will I be up to it? Will I be everything I want to be as a dad? Um Will I be able to avoid everything? And I suppose even just, again, you're, as the dad side of it, you've no control over the physical pregnancy. You know, you can't, you're not the one looking after the, the baby itself inside you. So you're, you're kind of, what do I do? I'm, tr- I'm trying to build uh, or help make the environment as stressless or stress-free sorry, <laughs> as possible. And, um, you, you know, there's been lots of studies that you, you can obviously... Got the dad so you can help the development of the baby by you know, creating that environment and helping you know the bonding throughout pregnancy that when it does arrive you're a bit more in a better position I suppose yeah what kind yeah. of reaction have you had from other dads to be so far uh, great it's been a great re- reaction I kind of hummed and hawed about the idea before uh, we announced to our families that we were expecting um, and I did, wasn't sure what kind of reaction or what was I guess but it's been brilliant so far guys reaching out saying it's fantastic to see guy uh, you know a guy talking about it and sharing the dad's side because you know we're there for the majority of all not the bits of the pregnancy and the bits that family and friends don't see or actually want to see either mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's been great and it's been like, I've had a lot of women reach out to me and say it's great to see a dad speak about this or a man speak about an area which is, you know, very female uh, dominated for obvious reasons. But it's it's been fantastic. It's been overwhelming. There's been great numbers of people come to the website, um, which has been great. And yeah, it's even just daily getting messages and responses. It's been fantastic. I'm kind of overwhelmed by it all, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the prospect of changing your first nappy, nobody can teach you that. No, and I did a baby care workshop recently, um, TJ, um, with the Baby Academy Ireland, and it was just a basic kind of like um, the crash course for new new parents type thing of how to hold a baby, which kind of looks like, I don't know if you would know, um, like a running back in the NFL, how they hold a football um, in their hands. So, like that's the analogy I've got to think of myself. That's how we should hold a baby. Or well, an, 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 an NFL fan, but I think you're thinking yeah. of Munster. Yeah, holding a rugby ball. CJ so. Standard charging for the line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ball of the baby would be as safe as houses in his arms. So, it's, uh, 
but it was things that Andy was showing how you do it, and then I, 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 look, I just give you one tip, right? And yeah. we had two to deal with because I had twins. Chucking them directly under your arm and clinching them—that won't work. No, they won't. They don't. They don't like it there, and they get too heavy fairly quick. But come here, baby workshops. We never yeah. had that. I know. I mean, this is. I mean, it's just a case of. I was. I was uh, handed this thing. Two of them, in fact. I was handed yeah. this thing, and there was something coming from one end and something coming from the <laughs> other end, and you had to clean both ends at the same time. And there's no instruction book. I know, and it, this is this is it. I I would have been absolutely you know wetting myself if I had that scenario landed on me. So it was great to be able to do this sort of workshop, and the the midwife was brilliant. Um, what did they give you, know, you was, a dolly or something? Was it? No, no, it's all online at the moment with the restrictions that are in place, but. Um, they just show you how you position the baby, hold the baby, all that. www.changethenappy.com. <laughs> yeah, I, but they show you as well what to expect on the first few days after the baby is born. And to any expecting dads, or you might even realize yourself, but the, the first day, what comes out of a baby's nappy on the first day is a very grim sight. Oh, yeah. And that was that oh, was yeah. one of the first eye-openers of parenthood. And I was just like, hey, listen, oh my uh, God. Hey, can I tell you, <laughs> online is one thing. Yeah, <laughs> in front of you, very different. Yeah, uh, that's that's going to be. A, There's a couple of great moment. videos on Facebook of guys who change. Uh, they're left with the child and they change the nappy for the first time. Some very good videos. That yeah, that, that'll be. But in all seriousness, this is a great idea. Where can people get to see it? Uh, they can go to the regular dot um, It's also the regular dad on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So I just kind of share my story as I go. Um, throw a bit of humour in and hopefully dads and expecting dads to come get uh, something out of it um, and know where to find this information and know that it's okay to have a laugh about certain things and also um, have the anxieties. You you, you wonder that everything is going to be okay. Well, hopefully it will be will be for yourself and and for for Ruth. Just one last thing. Are you one of these... Because this, and I, I, I know that this will start the phones lighting. I don't right. care. There's a term that is used these days that grinds my gears, like shoving a bus into reverse up the motorway. Okay. We're pregnant. Uh, no, right. My wife is pregnant. Yes. I'm, I'm the one alongside. I suppose it, it is a term that's used quite a lot, and we're pregnant. But uh, you know, I'm not the one carrying the baby. I'm the one supporting my wife with the baby so we're soulmates we're soulmates my man good to talk to you thanks thanks for having me cheers Rob there you go that's uh, (laughs) Rob Armstrong the regular dad regular dad it's on Facebook Twitter Insta and all of those 1850 715 996 I hate that oh we're we're pregnant no you're not she's pregnant give over 1850 715 996 bring on the trouble Takeover on Cork's 96 FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up.
what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. No, we are not pregnant. She's pregnant. 1850-715-996. Back to a story we talked about in the first hour, and that is the, the, the saving, if you want, of Mount Cara. The board of management at Mount Cara have informed staff and families that they're going into partnership with Michael O'Shea. Mr. O'Shea is a private operator. He runs three other nursing homes. He'll become the new registered provider. Uh, Fair Deal will operate the Fair Deal scheme will operate. There will be transfer of undertakings. The former chairman, Dr. John Sheehan, has been telling me this morning the, the transfer of undertakings means all the staff's entitlements and wages and everything will be transferred, jobs secure, all of that. So it's, it's, um, it's great news for the residents of Mount, Car- Mount Cara and their families. Dennis, good morning. Your mom, Josephine, is there. Yeah, that's right. How long has she been there? Um, she's there 12 years now. Were, were you worried for the last few months? Oh, yeah, it was on a severe pressure, um, especially in the crown climate, you know, um, COVID and everything. Yeah, um, you know, we were just wondering if we could be getting somewhere else if they can host their clothes or... Um, so a lot of pressure, yeah. Yeah. Have you been able to speak with her? Oh, yeah, I, well, I speak on the phone now. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, at, uh, at the moment. And then if anything that she needs, then we'll have to bring up the car house and leave it there, you know, but there's obviously no... Uh, we can't quit the car house at the moment. Yeah. How, how much does it mean to be... I mean to her to be there, to be in her locality, as it were. Oh, sure, it's, it's fantastic. Like, and you're right, like, about the locality, you know, it's, um, it's a fantastic facility, and uh, she's very comfortable there. All the people there, you know, very, very comfortable. The staff there are fantastic. Um, beautiful place. It's like a home from home. You know, well, it is their home now, you know. But, um, yeah, it, it means an awful lot to her, and it means an awful lot to us as well. What, why, why is it so? She, she grew up in the area, did she? Oh, she was um, up in Fair Hill, yeah. Um, Liam Healy Road. Um, so, um, after my dad died, you know, um, things kind of changed. And uh, my, mom, my my late brother actually organised the whole thing for um, my brother John. And um, she went into car house and she was delighted with it. Yeah. Um, so since that day, you know, it's been fantastic for us. Yeah, she's happy there, obviously. We're all very, very happy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What kind of activities go on there, Dennis? I mean, in normal times, like if we ever see those again. Well, you know, they do a lot of things. You know, obviously, when they, before COVID, now, you know, um, it's weird to get out and, you know, maybe she come to my house or, uh, when my brother was alive, you know, to go to my brother's house. Um, another thing, oh, all kind of daily activities, but in the house themselves, they keep them very entertained. Um, they do all sorts of things, you know, sing songs and yeah. games and this, that, and the other thing, you know. Yeah, yeah they're, they're kept going. Yeah, it's been hard, of course, not being able to visit for the last. How long is it since? It, were you able to visit there before this lockdown came in, or, or what? Had it eased off any bit? Oh, yeah, I was able to, yeah. 
Um, in, in the first lockdown, we had a kind of procedure in place where you'd make an appointment and um, go to the house, um, sort of one of them, just, just in the kind of an annex. And uh, we'd, we'd meet there once a week. Right. Um, so that was okay, but at the moment that's uh, that's not happening. But uh, in between the COVID, through COVID, you know, it was it was grand. We were able to um, take her out and uh, everything like that. That was so yeah. that was good. And I think fair play. What I've been told is that there was there was no infection at any time. Well, that's an amazing thing about it. You know, it, you know, COVID free. You know, when you you know, all of us you heard the other stories there on the on, on the radio. You know. And this is a corporate environment, which is a credit to the staff there. You know, you know the way they uh, they just police the whole thing was fantastic. Yeah. You know, so that's a great, you know, great worry off everybody's mind as well. Yeah, that they're out their own um, nursing home, COVID free. Yeah, that's great. That's great because yeah. it, it, it's just so. I, mean, I guess your what what. what she, Presume she keeps in contact with with the news and watches it like everybody else does. How how was she fearful? Well, she was. You know, I wouldn't say she was fearful. You know, you mean like she, she knows. You know that she's getting the best of care. Yeah. You know, and she's very kind of she's very comfortable with all that. You know, and uh, we know she's getting the best of care as well. You know, so and uh, you know she you know she pick up on things. You know, like she'd be clever enough you know, to know what's going on around the place. You know. Yeah. This is a strange question, but what, what can she see from her window? Is she looking out on her beloved home city? Well, if you look down at the black hole, you're looking up towards the towards the barracks there, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can um, you have a good view, really. Yeah. That's, and that's important, I guess. It, it keeps her in touch with where she grew up and... Yeah. she lived all her life That's, and, and I guess for local people this is and I suppose to be fair to Thomas Gould who has one or two concerns about this new development like it's important to keep a local home like that for local people because it means so much to your mum to be able to look out at the place that she lived and worked and grew up Exactly, you know, and not alone for my mum, like for the other people there as well and for Carl House, for the other people who will be using Carl House in the future yeah. You know, it's a, it's very very important that this facility stayed open. And today I got a phone call there to say that car house was closing. I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. You know yeah. that the facility like this could be let go. Yeah. So um, that was Pat calling at the time, and um, you know, so we kind of got to work there. We quickly we set up um, a safe car house um, committee, and uh, got working on that, and got the board of management to, to reverse the decision to change um, um, the closure of Carroll Hall. Yeah. So, and then Dr. John Shane um, took over then again as the, the chairman, and they yeah. worked away at that in conjunction with ourselves. We had a lot of meetings with them for the last number of months, mm-hmm. and you know, really was people who really um, got mm. this going. Yeah. It's a happy day. It's a happy day for Fantastic everybody. Fantastic day. Fantastic oh. day. And, 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 you know, it's it's an you know it's, it's it would be wrong for Calahos to close. Yeah. It would be wrong. Okay, Dennis. At least it didn't happen, and now won't. Thank you very much. That's Dennis, whose mum's Josephine, and she's been in there for eleven or twelve years in Carra House, looking out her window at Blackpool and her beloved Northside. Like, what else would you want? What else would you want, having grown up in the place, uh, to be able in your in in your nursing home in your new home to be able to look out? Eighteen fifty seven one five. 
996. That's another. We have had a few good good news stories this morning, haven't we? 1850 Another thing about being in a married relationship. Yeah. Are you married to somebody who thinks that the fairies put diesel in the car? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. Or, or the jobs she doesn't want to do are called man jobs. So, for example, getting rid of daddy long legs, that's a man's job. Or cleaning out the gutters, that's a man's job. If I try and tell her that the washing machine is a woman's job, oh. I'll have a washing machine at the side of my head. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, uh, few people responding to my statement about uh, hating that expression. We're pregnant. We're not pregnant. She's pregnant, right? Mags agrees with me regarding the whole we're pregnant thing, says it drives her bananas. Uh, Terry, that expression we're pregnant bugs me too. And also the one, she fell pregnant. I mean, like, where did she fall? What did she fall on or off of? To quote Casey and Ross in the morning. I think Kevin, <coughs> Kevin wins on this one. I was standing at the end of the bed and that confirmed to me <laughs> we are definitely not pregnant. 1850-715-996. That's a great show, that, uh, that, uh, great TV show. Um, and there's another series coming up of Cheap Irish Homes. It's, it's one of these house makeover shows that sort of isn't about mammoth mansions and isn't about walls of glass and frames of steel and huge swathes of concrete. It's about exactly what it says in the tin. Cheap Irish homes. And they're looking for new people to take part in the next series. And one of the people involved is our own good friend, Kieran McCarthy from KMC Homes here in Cork. Kieran, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you keeping? Good. It's an unusual show for that reason. The, the, the premise is what? Um, well, the premise of it was around Maggie Malloy and Cheap Irish Houses, her Instagram page, which is hugely popular. And, and Maggie is a big fan of old Irish cottages and old Irish life. Um, and she is trying to rescue as many of these old Irish cottages and bring would-be new owners to these cottages and bring them back to life and, and keep them alive and keep this part of our heritage alive. You know? Is there more work in taking an old cottage, buying it for reasonable amount of money. Is there more work in modernising and bringing them up to, up to, up to modern standards? Uh, yeah, look, the, the, when, you're, when you're buying these cottages, you're buying, into, uh, you're, buying, you're buying into a bit of work. I mean, you're getting them for really good value. I mean, you couldn't even build them in their current state for the money you're buying them for. I mean, the, the sites alone would be the cost the same much. Um, so, it, look, I suppose a lot of these people who be buying them are looking to roll up their sleeves a bit and do some of the work themselves, um, and they mightn't do it all in year one either. So it might be, uh, you know, a, a several-years project depending on cash flow and all that thing. So, so it does, it does attract a certain type of uh, would-be buyer, you know? Where do you come in then? Um, well, I suppose Maggie's bringing um, would-be buyers to look at these Irish cottages and, um, as you rightly say, look, a lot of them do need some level of work 
Um, and of course, you know, between Maggie and they would be buyers, there's so many questions come up of, you know, could you do this? Could you do that? Is planning required for this? How much would it cost to do that? So there's so many questions are thrown Regulation, up. regulation, someone. regulation. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's where I come in to, to answer as many of these questions as I can, you know? Okay. And there's a, where can people go to apply? They've got to be available at very specific dates, don't they? This month, well, November coming and next April. Correct, yeah. I mean, the uh, the email address, if they'd like to drop an email, is cheapirishhomes um, at ie, and they'll get all the details. They'll get all the details there. Um, so, yeah, we're casting for the next series. Um, the, of course, we have to work in line now with new COVID restrictions mm. or whatever, which we will do, and it's a kind of a moving target. But, look, we're, we're, we're casting for um, an exciting next series uh, as we speak. You know? Good. I'll give out that email address again in, in a minute. Just on, on the building industry in general, Kieran and KMC Homes, like, is operating in a time of COVID, has it made it harder in general? Oh, it is, yeah. Um, like, when you're starting off building work, it's uh, like you're building a new house, um, it, it's straightforward enough because you don't have that many people on site. I mean, you have a digger driver and you have the guy with him and maybe a foreman and whatever. But as, as the project gets towards the latter end, you have a lot more, you'll see a lot more vans outside and there's more people involved and sometimes you're working inside and outside. So it just gets a bit more... It gets a bit yeah. more tricky. Makes certain, make, makes certain elements of the job slower because a guy can only be there one or two at a time, one or two people well, at a time. Go. Yeah, There you go. It, there's a lot more. You have to think out all the processes a lot more and you can't overlap as many processes. Yeah. And, you know, only certain, as you say, like one or two people can work upstairs, one or two people can work downstairs instead of, you know, half a dozen in the old days. Yeah. You can't You can't have a swarm in the front door to get a no. week's work done in two no. days. You can't. No, no. Far yeah. from it. Far from it. A lot more regulation there. No, But yeah. look, it has to be done. Has to be done. Can I check in with you on a project we talked about in the past, and I know you're working on it, and it's a long-term one. How is it going, the, 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 the house for the Walshes, for Deirdre and her family? It's, it's going very well. We have, uh, you'll be delighted to hear with the roof on. Great. And windows on the way. So we've made massive progress, um, and, and Deirdre and Finn are both delighted. Um, so it, it's going very well, TJ. Thank you very much. A huge success. I, I'd, I'd love to come and see when it's, when it's safe to do so. Well, we'd love to have you. We'd uh, love to have you. It sounds like a very exciting day. Fantastic. All right, listen, Kieran. good luck with the show, good luck with the business, good luck with the trade. Thank you very much. That's Kieran McCarthy from KMC Homes. Cheap Irish Homes at cameoproductions.ie will put you in touch. And that's Deirdre and uh, Finbar Walsh. Finbar and I think their daughters have muscular dystrophy. It's very severe. Uh, and Kieran undertook... We... we we set up a project with them, or we helped to set up a project with them last year to basically get them, get them a home. And Kieran came on board, and it's it's all happening. They're building a home, and it's it's great. And we'd, hopefully, one day we'll get to the end of that particular project. And I can't wait to see it. I really can't wait to see it because the home they were in was just no longer fit for purpose. And uh, it's it's a great project. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it in the fullness of time. 1850-715-996. On Mount Cara, I remember when Dad was in there, growing up with my sisters on a Sunday with my guitar, and my sisters would step dance for about three hours a few times a month. Staff up there have always been amazing. And, and uh, is it Sean Coleman? Says, congratulations to Dennis and all the Save Mount Cara committee on the success in keeping Cara open.
Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696 on Cork's 96FM. Imagine a story about a fella what writ a book hundreds and hundreds of years ago down in Kilbritain. Yeah, lovely Kilbritain, not far from Bandon. Fella writ a book back in the late 15th century and it's taken until now to get a hold of it and we have it and it's called The Book of Lismore. It's a fascinating book and Professor Padraig O'Machan from the UCC Department of Modern Irish, Professor of Modern Irish in fact, joins me to talk about it. A fascinating story of this book, Professor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, it is indeed. I, I like your description of it there. That, that's the best description I've heard today. <laughs> Tell me about it. So this fella sat down, a fella called Fing... Fing is, was, it, he did, was it written for him or it by him? For, yeah. Fing it was written for Who was he? Yes. He was the chief of the, that branch of the McCarthy family called McCarthy Ray or McCarthy And he, he, he's, he's headquarters, as it were. His home was in Britain Castle, there near Timelig, as you said. And... Um, for him and his wife, uh, Kathleen Fitzgerald, this great manuscript was created. Who wrote uh, it? It was written by members, I suppose I should explain that yeah, people don't often realise that at, the, at this time in, in, in the late Middle Ages in Ireland, there were professional literary families. In other words, there were people who were, who were dedicated to the composition of poetry, of, of stories, who looked after a native law, and medicine as well. There were the four branches of learning. And from that, those four groups came what manuscripts that survive uh, from, from that time and that are, st- that, 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 are, that are still available to us. So from uh, the, the book of McCarthy Ray, we know the name of just one of the writers. There was a main scribe who never signed his name, but the, the second scribe, the second writer, was Aeneas O'Callanine, was his name, anglicised O'Callanine. And they were a family of of um, uh, of medical scholars, as it happens. But uh, being a scholar meant that you could, you know, you could write books of any description. You have literacy was 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 the main thing there, of course, and that was a highly prized, a highly prized skill at the time. It was really, a, I suppose, an elite skill, an aristocratic uh, skill, and and not one that was, uh, how would I say, very very prevalent. And that is why when we look at these uh, these artefacts, not just Book of McCarthy Ray, but our, our book, which is more, but other manuscripts as well, what we're looking at is the vestiges of of um, uh, an elite element of society at, at the time. Yeah. So this book was created for um, uh, Fini McCora and, and his and, and his wife, uh, Catalina. And what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a huge 
a very big book for a starter. It's uh, in excess of 400 pages, and the pages are, are, are vellum pages. That's yeah. calf, calf skin, uh, which was the medium. Uh, it's just, just it's a heavy time. thing. It's a, it's a very heavy thing, but very durable. Yeah. Very durable, PJ, in that, uh, whereas, uh, as you can imagine, really, it goes without saying, I suppose, paper, man, paper can, can burn and disappear yeah. and all that. It takes a lot to destroy it's a piece of paper. written on calfskin. In, on calfskin, yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as, are, as are all our manuscripts from, yeah. from, that, from that period. In fact, paper only starts to appear as a material for manuscripts just at this particular time, and would you get? Would you believe it? Just in 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 in, in West Cork also, mm-hmm. it bec- it becomes it takes the battle of Kinsale and and uh, all that uh, confusion. Um, is, it, called, is, it, is, it, is it any wonder we've such great writers come out of West Cork and they're there for, <laughs> for five for five hundred years? So the book the book was robbed in the war. In, so the books arrived at Kilbritton until. Um, uh, almost 200 years later, in 1642, during the Civil War, the, 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 during the wars, uh, the great wars of, 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 the, of the 17th century, the book was confiscated by uh, well, the Earl of Cork, the Boyles, and was removed from there. And this is really guesswork because we don't, we haven't really a map of it. If you know, we can't track it. But it was removed from there to Tullismore to, to Castle, which was owned by the Boyles at that time. And uh, of course, that, that changed ownership in the middle of the 18th century, as um, when they married into when the Cavendishes, the present Dukes of Devonshire, married into the Boyles, and so it came in, came into possession of of Lismore Castle. So there's a big gap in our in our knowledge of what became of the book until 1814, when renovations were taking place at Lismore Castle in County Waterford, of course, and the book was discovered along with uh, uh, an artifact known as the Lismore Crozier, which is now in, in the National in the National Museum. Now, it has been in England for many years, and it's been gifted back to UCC. How did that come about? So the Dukes of Devonshire, having, having their Irish base in, in, in Lismore, and uh, having extensive land-owning interests, not just in West Warford, but also in East Cork, and indeed in Cork City and in Bandon as well, in the Bandon area. Also, they always have had an interest, if you like, weren't like any other uh, or many many other um, landlords, and they had, they have actually had maintained an interest in in their Irish holdings and in, and in their connections with the with the Irish people, as it were. And um, so they've had a very good relationship with UCC over the years. They donated, for example, a, a bunch of of Ohm stones that are visible that are you know you can you can see them today in the stone corridor in yes. UCC. Uh, they sponsored the. Um, the model farm uh, when it was there, they sponsored um, the observatory in UCC. So there, is, there has been a very good connection. And in, in 2011, just jumping forward, they loaned the Book of Lismore for an exhibition, a dedicated exhibition on the book in UCC. And I suppose that provided the impetus. So it was there for a couple of months, and it, it, that provided the impetus for further discussions with regard to a possible donation of the book, a permanent donation to UCC. And, and that was... Uh, pursued by John Fitzgerald, the chief librarian of UCC, and, and it came to fruition yesterday. It's probably, is it, Professor, beyond calculable value, is it? Yeah, I would, I would uh, personally, PJ, I would say priceless. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, priceless. And wonderful to have it back. A, a 500, what's in it? What, this is okay. a storybook, is it poetry, it is. what's in yeah. it? It's very much a storybook, PJ. And we noticed there was a, um, a companion volume full of poetry that, is, that has, has been lost that we don't have anymore. 
um, which it tells its own story in that, you know, the survival rate of, 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 of manuscripts from this time is, is 50% at best, you know. But yes, it is, it, so it's, it's full of stories. And, and in, in a very broad sense of the word story, I suppose, it contains the lives of the saints, for example. And are they written in English? Or no, no, sorry, this is all written in Irish. Oh, in it's Irish? All, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that, that was the language of the people at the time, course, the language yeah. of the country at, at the time. So, yes, yeah, sorry, I should have said And that. is it Irish as I learnt in school? Would I be able to read it off the page? <laughs> yeah, uh, and this is no restriction on yourself, no feature, but you hardly would. Um, because it, it's, it's Irish of the 15th century. It's like, right. the, English of, it's like the English of Chaucer, we'll say. Ah, great, okay. Uh, compared to English of today. It's, uh, so, no, it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit different. Nevertheless, I mean, it's, people have worked on it and it's possible to, as it were, to convert it, if you wish, <laughs> from, yeah. from 15th century Irish easily enough in, into, into modern Irish. So it's written on Irish. And it contains religious stories, but also a very um, extraordinary mix of, of secular tales as well, Irish sagas, stories of, of, of kings and their doings. Um, stories about uh, about um, you know extraordinary sea voyages to mythical places and so forth, and yeah. a, a mixture of, of native the story of Marco Polo. If I'm yeah, I was say that a mixture of of, na- of native and European um, tradition also, and I suppose the the standout there in the European side is, is the only surviving uh, version of the Irish translation of the travels of Marco Polo. Wow. Um, and that's a fantastic, and you can, you can, you can almost, and it, it, this is what I've said, you can almost, um, you know, transport yourself back to, to um, late 1400s in West Cork and listen to the stories that were being read, if you like, read, read aloud as part of a, a night's entertainment. And uh, you can imagine yourself being there, because that, that's another story that Marco Polo, that is full of, of, of um, incident, incident and description of exotic places and so mm. forth. The story of Marco Polo written in Irish uh, yeah. is is amazing. So is this kind of, is it kind of like a book of Kells for Cork or is it completely different? Um, I'd sort of be hesitant to call it that because the book of Kells is really a visual feast. Mm. You understand, you look at the book of Kells and what you see really, you're not, you're not, it's, it's a gospel book. Yeah, but what you're seeing is the illustrations and the decoration and everything. The beauty of of the decoration in the Book of Kells was meant to reflect really primarily the glory of God, you know. And so uh, that is a feast for the eyes. And you could you spend hours just looking at one detail on one page. That's not the type of manuscript where we're, we're talking about here. And I think people sometimes get confused, you know, when you talk about Irish manuscripts, they say, oh, the Book of Kells. Well, actually, the Book of Kells is almost an exception, if you like. And the book of Kells, of course, is from the early Christian, the early Christian era. Yeah. This is this is a very much, um, how would I say, a vernacular manuscript, manuscript con- um, concerned with with telling stories, yeah. and and capturing the tradition, capturing the stories that were current at the time, both in Ireland and and in Europe. And so it's not exactly a feast for for the eyes visually. It won't hit you between the two eyes with mm. regard to, with regard to colour and decoration. But it will draw you in, certainly, because of the excellence of, if you're interested in the excellence of the script, the excellence yeah. of the calligraphy. These were, these were artists of, 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 of where, high where, art. Where, where and when will people, will we be able to go and see it? So now it's in, it's in UCC Library, and please God, when the, when the current restrictions uh, lift, arrangements will be made to put the, to put the book on, on display. In the, in the longer term, we're planning to develop a, um, what we call a treasures gallery within UCC where the book and, and other items uh, from, from the library and from the university in general will be on display for, for the general public. But certainly, I think once, once uh, you know, we get this 
terrible pandemic out of the way, uh, the, the, the book will be arranged to be made to, to place that book on right. on display because this is a book for the people. It's not for it's not just for students and scholars. Well, it's, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating story. It's an absolute piece of treasure. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. great to have it back in Cork. Thank you so much, Professor Padraig O'Machan, the Professor of Modern Irish at UCC. The Book of Lismore, writ for a fella called Fingin McCarrick back in the 15th century and now back in UCC for all of us to enjoy, if we can understand it or just look at it and marvel at it and all that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.